Isolation by Bex Chan. Chapter 1. Haven. People often said that in times of turbulence, you learn to appreciate the little things. Poetic and whimsical notions like sunsets, the sounds of birds, and the varying colors of dainty flowers. Well, Hermione could safely tell those people that it was all bullocks. Bullocks, bullocks, bullocks. Sunsets were pretty much the same every day. Squawking birds were actually very annoying and gave her a headache and she could really care less about the hues and shades of flowers. They all died anyway, all wilted into ugly, shriveled shapes, especially when winter was starting to strangle life out of the world. No, when times were bad, and they really were, it pretty much distracted you from everything else. Everything else was irrelevant and distorted, clouded by the gravity of the darkness. Hermione had noticed that even her classes had become meaningless, and the worst thing was everyone seemed to feel the same. The students of Hogwarts were drowning in melancholy, all of them. Well, the ones that had been allowed to return. She'd worked out there were just over a quarter of the usual number of pupils, and all of them were scared, moving around the lonely corridors with glum faces and whispered tones. But the classes were still held, as were the Quidditch matches and other events, even though it was glaringly obvious that most of the students had lost the will to compete, socialize, and even learn. McGonagall was doing her best to keep things consistent and familiar, but it was pointless. Hogwarts was a pseudo-school now, just a shell with ancient walls that people had once thought were safe. But, of course, that was all bollocks, too. It was the first of October, meaning Hermione had only been back at school for a couple of weeks, but it felt longer. It also meant that Dumbledore had been dead for exactly five months. No, Hogwarts was definitely not safe, and everyone knew it. The Death Eaters had breached their school, all thanks to Draco fucking Malfoy, and then Snape had murdered the most brilliant man she would ever know. Voldemort was back. Well, he'd been back for a few years now, but the curse of his return was becoming louder and more threatening with each day that passed. She was petrified. That's right. Screw the stereotypes that came with her Gryffindor colors. Sometimes it was rational to be frightened. It certainly didn't help that her two supposed best friends had left her here all alone. Yes, Harry and Ron were currently traipsing all over the country searching for Horcruxes, without her. She wasn't sure where the reasoning had been in that decision, but it had been Lupin's suggestion. She loved her friends dearly, but if she was right, Harry was probably having a mental breakdown every hour, and Ron would most likely be tripping over his own feet. She knew it hadn't been their decision— but she couldn't help the resentment that had burrowed into her brain. At least they had each other. She had been left here to assist McGonagall with turning Hogwarts into a shelter. A safe place. There were a few other Order members here, such as Seamus and Dean, and Ginny was helping along with the rest of the professors. The youngest Weasley was nice enough, but she didn't come close to filling the gap the boys had left her with. For the most part, Hermione felt significantly alone. She had been given the title of head girl, of course, possibly so she could have her own room to help with the Order's plans, or perhaps it was so she could have some freedom to lock herself in the library at night with the hopes of assisting the cause. Or maybe it was because she was the infamous best friend of Harry Potter and was supposed to provide some symbol of hope to the miserable souls that were haunting Hogwarts. Whichever it was, she was glad she could help, but she'd have rather stayed with Ron and Harry. Michael Corner was head boy, 
but she never really found out why he'd been chosen. It was probably just because he'd been a prefect and a member of Dumbledore's army, but she doubted he was doing much in the way of preparation for the order. She could have asked him, of course, or even attempted to make conversation with any of the other students, but the only person she really spoke to these days was McGonagall. She was too busy, too immersed in her desperation, to help. Her head girl dorm felt empty, hollow. Near the Gryffindor Tower, there was her bedroom, a little kitchenette, a small living space, the bathroom, and another bedroom. The bedroom that Harry would have probably occupied if he'd have been chosen as head boy. Corner had his own head dormitory near the Ravenclaw Tower, and for that she was grateful. If she was going to be angry and anxious about the state of the world, she didn't want anyone but Harry and Ron to know about it. But, as she had noted so many times, they weren't here. They sent her one letter every fortnight, careful not to owl any more in case it alerted Voldemort to their Horcrux hunt. So yes, things were bad, remarkably bad. So bad that the words in front of her were just sliding over her brain and escaping her attention. It had just passed midnight when she'd made her way to the library, to research Horcruxes again, spurred on by her passionate insomnia. It was easily two in the morning now. The place was obviously empty, and only the faint glow of her lumos gave any indication of life between the labyrinth of bookshelves. She rubbed her sleep-deprived eyes and tried to focus on the blurry letters and shapes, but it was difficult. Right, she mumbled to herself, trailing her fingertip over the sentence to steady her gaze. The first known wizard to create a horcrux was Herpo the Fowl, and they can only be bugger. She'd already read that sentence twice. You are insane, he spat harshly, stopping in his tracks. I don't know which of your crazy potions you've knocked back, but there is no way I'm going back there. And I suppose you have a better idea, Snape turned slowly to face his companion, regarding the young man impatiently. Have you forgotten what we did in there? he questioned, raising his fury-trembling hand to indicate the dimly lit school. I'll be killed on the bloody spot if I step one foot in that place. We do not have time for these arguments, Draco, the ex-professor sneered, grabbing the back of the younger wizard's collar. I made a vow to protect you, and this is the only place you will be safe. Get off me, he hissed, struggling against the grip, as Snape marched towards Hogwarts. He tried to dig his heels into the ground and pry the hand away from his robes, but it was futile. You blood traitor scum! Snape stalled his long strides and adjusted his grip on Draco's clothes to bring their faces close. It didn't show on his face, but Malfoy suddenly felt very wary of the dangerous look in the wizard's eyes. But he didn't flinch. He was a blood traitor. Fact. Snape and himself had been in hiding for the last few months following the events in Astronomy Tower. Draco wasn't stupid. He knew his failure would have consequences, but he could never have imagined the magnitude of them. The Dark Lord wanted him dead. He hadn't spoken to either of his parents since, and he had no idea what had happened to them. He'd barely left some Shetland shack with his only companion consisting of the greasy and eerie man currently glaring torture at him. And he had a price on his head. Both sides wanted him dead. Peachy. And then Snape had told him that he was a spy, that he'd betrayed them all, and that he was one of them. Draco had vomited the barely digested scraps they had managed to salvage that day and spent the remainder of the evening trying to escape their Scottish hideout. But where would he have gone? 
Had it not been for the fact that Voldemort wanted him avadded as soon as possible, he would have disclosed that revelation for some personal gain. But he had no place with the Death Eaters anymore, which left him substantially buggered, forced into following around the blood trader who had told him he could no longer protect him. Headfuck. And now he had brought him to Hogwarts. He tried to ask questions about the extent of Snape's involvement with the Order, but the odd git had characteristically said the bare minimum. Draco had wondered if insanity had finally caught up to the older man, that the whole spy concept was just the hysteric ramblings of a half-minded man. He'd murdered Dumbledore, after all. But then why would he be taking him to Hogwarts if he didn't have some leverage with McGonagall and the Order? All the questions and anxiety pounded against his temple and throbbed with echoing reminders in his ears. But he'd had no answers, no promises, nothing just left to simmer in a limbo that ached and wondering when everything had become so complicated. Five months in a rickety shed on some desolate Shetland island, with only the drones of sheep to slice the silence, had left him more than a little tense. Of course, having the most powerful wizard on earth hunting for your corpse didn't help. What a shit week. Shit month. Shit year. I am trying to protect you, Draco, the sinister man snapped tightening his hold on Draco's robes. This is the only place you will be safe. I will not be safe here, the blonde growled, curling his lip in disgust. I'm their fucking enemy. You're an enemy to both sides now, Snape pointed out, continuing his steps towards Hogwarts and yanking the Malfoy air with him. But this side is the least likely to kill you. Professor McGonagall had already agreed to this. Stupid cow, Draco barked, earning him a choking tug so I am to entrust my safety with that crazy hag. You don't have a choice. His protests stopped. She shivered. Autumn had crept up on the castle too quickly, and it squandered the cold at the back of her neck. Her breath left her mouth in silky mists as she bunched the fabric of her jumper in her fists to protect her fingers. Hermione jumped out of her seat when she heard the library door swing open, followed by shuffling steps. She grabbed her wand, silently ending the Lumos charm, and listening carefully to the intrusive thumps against the floorboards. She made her breaths as quiet as possible, managing to rise from her seat without making the faintest noise. She peeked through the gaps of the bookcases, searching for a glimpse of something out of place. All the shadows mingled into one mass of almost black, so she concentrated on the sounds. Whoever it was still lingered by the door, but was slowly making their way further into the library, her hand tightened around her wand. Miss Granger, a familiar voice called, and she relaxed her shoulders. Are you in here? Lumos, the witch sighed, her feet following the friendly tone. I'm here, Professor Slughorn. Oh, there you are, the jittery man smiled when she came into view. You know, we've been looking everywhere for you. You really shouldn't be out this late, even if you are head girl. Is everything okay? she questioned, ignoring his comment. Professor McGonagall would like to speak with you, he stated simply, leading her away from the library. She's in her office. Is something wrong? Her brows knitted together with concern. Why would McGonagall need her at two in the morning? I'm not sure what's going on, Miss Granger, he admitted with a harmless shrug. I'm sure everything's fine, or we would have been informed. I suppose so, she nodded absently, tucking her hands in her pockets. It just seems a little odd. In times like these, Miss Granger, he breathed, and she could hear how tired the man was. They were all so tired. I'm surprised you can still find anything odd. Fair point. 
I will walk you to the office, he told her, his voice croaking with fatigue. Would you like me to wait outside for you to make sure you get back to your room safely? That's not necessary, she dismissed with a little shake of her head. My room is only a small walk from McGonagall's office. Plus, you look very tired, sir. I was broken rather suddenly, he confessed, smothering a yawn into his sleeve. But then, you were reading in the library. Are you sleeping okay, Miss Granger? Well enough, she lied. Might I recommend some dreamless sleep potion, he suggested, giving her a meaningful look. I could brew you some for tomorrow. No, thank you, she offered him a weak smile. I have some muggle sleeping pills I can take if I really need to, but I'm fine, Professor, really. If you say so, Miss Granger, he relented, stopping as they reached a door to the passageway that would take her to McGonagall's office. I shall leave you here, then. Thank you, Professor Slughorn, she nodded politely, waiting until the wizard had disappeared down the corridor before she mumbled the password, Tabby Cat. Draco was sat in an oversized chair, grinding his teeth and chewing his tongue. The two professors were bickering in front of him, and it had taken every bit of self-control not to scream at the pair. If McGonagall wasn't clutching her wand defensively, he would have probably hexed them by now, or at least cast a few silencing charms to block out their screeching tones. "'I agreed to meet you, Severus,' the witch spoke harshly. "'I made no such promise that I would actually let him stay here.' "'There is nowhere else,' Snape stated calmly, turning his eyes to Draco for a moment." If the Dark Lord finds him, then he will kill him, Minerva. And you would have me put the rest of the students in jeopardy? She snapped, her Scottish accent thick and reminding Draco of his vile stay in the north, always hiding. You are trying to protect the students, the sullen wizard spoke. He needs protection more than anyone. That boy is the reason this place was attacked, she shouted, pointing an accusing finger at him. That boy is a child, Snape interrupted ignoring the offended grunt from the otherwise silent teenager. He was misled, Minerva. Draco's eyes shot up at those words, and he analyzed the man he had once trusted with weary skepticism. It felt odd and degrading to be defended by someone he now despised. He knew what he was doing, the headmistress said quietly, her conservative tone back into place, and if he hadn't been so foolish, things would be very different. The Dark Lord would still be a threat, he reasoned carefully. You know the Albus. Don't you dare try to bribe me with his memory, she warned, her voice rising a decibel that harassed her own ears. Don't you dare, Severus. You know I'm right, he said with a subtle force. You know full well how determined he was to ensure Draco didn't follow that path. The Malfoy heir felt his jaw slacken. The inevitable questions flooded his brain too quickly, and he hissed the air through his teeth. The old oaf had taken an interest in him, had wanted to keep him away from the dark path, and Snape knew this. Just more secrets, more splinters into his brain. What the hell? I warned you to keep your mouth shut, Snape drawled purposefully, not even bothering to glance at him. Minerva, you know Albus would have let him stay. Well, she sighed, massaging her forehead with her age-creased hands. Albus's benevolence could have been considered his downfall, alongside his desire to see the good in everyone. Snape made a small sound of agreement. Be that as it may, he mumbled quietly. I'm running out of time. He needs a place away from the Dark Lord. The old witch tensed her lips and moved her wise stare to study the youngest inhabitant of the room. 
Draco tried to hold the exchange, but found himself glaring down at his lap, his lids heavy with fatigue. He'd been unable to manage a decent night's sleep since the night of June 1st, four days before his 17th birthday. Call it the cold that had crept in through the cracks of their hideout, or the painful hunger pangs that he'd suffered for five months, or perhaps even the flimsy remains of his conscience. Sleep was a forgotten luxury, as was a decent meal, and a bed, and a shower, and warmth. Very well, McGonagall murmured finally, holding her head a little higher as she spoke. He may stay, but I have my terms, Mr. Malfoy, and if any of them are broken, you will be on your own. Draco slowly raised his eyes to regard the woman with an agitated look. Who was she to lay down a list of rules, like she was doing him a favor? He didn't want to be here. He didn't need her bloody help. She could stick it up her. Your wand, Mr. Malfoy, she demanded calmly, stretching out her hand. He snorted. Sawed off, he muttered coldly, but he felt something at his side move and watched with furious eyes as his wand left his pocket and landed in her palm. You will not be permitted to attend classes with the rest of the students, she told him crisply. I would think the reasons would be pretty obvious for that. You were to remain unseen, and I'm sure you wouldn't be welcomed back by the other students anyway. He rolled his eyes. He hated people who found it necessary to state the obvious. You will not leave the room you are given, she continued harshly, her lips pursed with stress. If you step one foot out of Hogwarts without my permission, then you will not be allowed back in. Ever. Draco rubbed his chin and looked at Snape, who was watching him with that familiar, impatient stare. He wanted to tell them both to fuck off, to mind their own business, but he knew this offer wasn't optional. He reminded himself again that he had nowhere to go. So that was it. Another place he wasn't allowed to leave. Another sanity-draining prison. Merlin help him to save his mind. He will stay here, Snape questioned, breaking the silence. With you? I have far too much on my plate to play chaperone, Severus, the witch explained in a clipped tone. I have someone else in mind to keep an eye on him. Snape frowned. Slughorn, he guessed, one of the professors. You know firsthand that they wouldn't have the time for that, she replied with an arched eyebrow. Considering the circumstances, Severus, there are only a handful of people I trust fully, and if you want Mr. Malfoy's whereabouts to remain secret, then he will stay with Miss Granger. Draco's eyes doubled in size and mouth went dry. The fucking mudblood? You will do well to mind your language, Mr. Malfoy, she threatened with her clipped tone. I think I've made it quite clear that your stay here is conditional. You think shoving me in a room with her will be safe? He questioned with a disbelieving face. If there's anyone other than the Dark Lord who would want me killed, it's the mudblood. You will stop using that word, the witch reiterated with a scolding finger. I am certain that Miss Granger is capable of handling this situation maturely. Draco released a humorous bark of laughter and shook his head. You're off your bloody rocker. Apparently so, she agreed. But if I were you, I wouldn't encourage me to reconsider this arrangement. He narrowed his glare and turned to Snape with an expression of sheer disgust. This is your idea of protection, he spat through his bared teeth, handing me over to these morons? Enough, he hushed him quietly, still eyeing McGonagall with a curious expression. Are you certain Miss Granger is the wisest option, Minerva? She's the only option, she stated resolutely. 
She's the only student I completely trust. But one of the professors would surely be more appropriate. The professors have enough trouble keeping their eyes on the other students, the headmistress said with an edge of impatience. Miss Granger is perfectly capable, and she just so happens to have a spare room in her quarters. This is a joke, Draco growled, wrinkling his nose with disdain. I refuse to stay with that. I won't tell you to shut up again, Snape sneered, taking a long stride to smack the back of his head. You will do as you are told, Mr. Malfoy, the witch warned stiffly. You will only have one offer of help from us, and then you're on your own. He felt the urge to challenge the witch, rise in his throat, tickling his tonsils, but he was so exhausted. Hogwarts was so much warmer than the shed, and the warmth was like a sedative. The plush chair was absorbing him, no matter how hard he tried to ignore it. The smell of food lingered in the air, too, and it was doing betraying things to his empty stomach. Shall I take that your silence means you accept our offer? Offer, he snorted. It wasn't an offer she was giving him, and everybody in the room knew it. It was an ultimatum. Stay with the enemy or risk death. The only, the will to live only just beat his pride. Fine, let them feed me and provide me an ancient roof over my head. His parents would be looking for him. His father would convince the Dark Lord to overlook his mishap perhaps. He accepts, Snape spoke on his behalf, giving his ex-pupil a stern look that dared him to protest. So be it, McGonagall sighed, with all the dread of a demon bargain soul. Do you have any belongings? His eyes fell into his lap again. The simple answer was no. No, he didn't have a bloody thing to call his own. Just the multi-scorgified and battered clothes he'd been wearing since that night and a set of robes that Snape had given him. He was stripped of all the tokens of wealth, the symbols that represented his infamous heritage, and he hated it. No, he spat quickly, shuddering his eyes. Then I will have the house elves get some things for you, she told him, her tone no softer than before. I'll have them sent to Miss Granger's room at some point tomorrow. And Miss Granger has agreed to this arrangement, the older wizard questioned with a skeptical tone. Not yet. Draco's golden eyebrows rose high on his pale forehead. Not yet. The woman was digging his grave faster than Voldemort. She dragged her anxiety-nibble fingertips over the old bricks as she shuffled her feet down the corridor, her other hand clutching her glowing wand to guide her way. She'd figured out why McGonagall had summoned her now. There was only one possibility. Bad news. Someone had died, or been hurt. Perhaps Harry and Ron's plans had been discovered— Maybe the school was under another threat, or Voldemort could have found the Order's headquarters. There were hundreds of possibilities, and all of them bad. She mourned her optimism, wished it hadn't been stolen by Astronomy Tower's dark memory and the absence of her best friends. Her sad thoughts of that night were stolen when McGonagall's distorted voice rattled down the passage, and just as the echo subsided, another voice joined her, a man's voice. Her grip on her wand tightened, and she picked up her pace, the smacks of her footsteps loud amongst the acoustics. She couldn't discern specific words, or even if there was perhaps a third voice vibrating along the walls now. With a twitch of her wrist, and the password whispered again under her breath, the thick door slammed open. Her eyes went wide and wild when she absorbed the scene. Snape. Here, in Hogwarts. She didn't even notice Malfoy. Three heads whipped around to look at her, but she only saw one. Him. 
the man that had killed the greatest man she'd ever known. She felt fire burst in her chest. You, she breathed, her features stretching with shock for a moment before the angry lines creased her face. Her wand arms straightened with an agitated snap of her elbow, and her bark-brown eyes narrowed into dangerous slits. Impedimenta! He blocked her spell effortlessly, and it infuriated her more. The witch's rage was pounding her ears, muffling McGonagall's request for her to relax. Her magic was throbbing at her fingertips, ready for revenge. She fired a stupefy, but it was deflected like her last attack. Draco watched the duel silently with his calculating eyes, wondering why Snape was actually participating in it at all. Surely a quick petrificus would put the meddlesome mudblood in her place. She hadn't noticed him, hadn't once taken her eyes off the other wizard. He would bet his family's fortune that spotting him would hardly calm the little tantrum she was having right now. Snape eyed the girl calmly and shot a silent, disarming spell in her direction, deciding it was best to end this before it got out of hand. He cocked an impressed eyebrow when it had no effect, and faltered when another one of her curses made him stumble on his feet. She had been practicing. When had she learned silent shielding charms? Enough, McGonagall tried to intervene, but Hermione's eyes barely flicked over to the woman. Miss Granger, calm down and let me explain. The young witch didn't blink. Confront her wand flew away from her hand, and her confused and betrayed stare shifted over to the headmistress. She felt charmed ropes coil around her to restrict her movements, and frustrated tears sauntered down her cheeks. The older witch gave her an apologetic look before she jerked her wand again, and Hermione felt her feet leave the floor before she went flying back into a closet. The door closed behind her with a blunt bang, and she remained frozen in the dark for a stunned moment before she was struggling with everything she had and shouting until her throat felt stripped by bleach. Why was McGonagall doing this? She coughed on an outraged sob and swallowed back the scream caught in her windpipe. What the hell was going on? On the other side of the door, Draco sank back into the chair with a roll of his eyes. He watched the pair of professors as they shared a look of skepticism and resisted the compulsion to shake his head or laugh at their stupidity. How could they honestly be surprised that she had reacted the way she did? He really was surrounded by bloody idiots. Well, he commented, his voice raspy at the back of his throat, but still rich with surplus sarcasm. That went well. Okay, well, that chapter went really well. So now I'm going to move into the discussion section of this podcast, and I have my very first guest, my boyfriend, Matt. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm here. You're here. Thank you for being on. Um, so you've never read any kind of fan fiction before this, correct? No, but I've heard about it extensively <laughs> from you me. reading about it. This is true. <laughs> Over the past, like six months or something year I don't even know I've been yeah. just reading a million different fics and telling you all about them I feel like I've read them to some extent because you've told me enough about <laughs> them that it's feel it feels like I've read them all but I haven't read them so <laughs> <laughs> that's good but you're like probably living vicariously through me with it right like I'm telling you like oh my god she's feeling so depressed and sad and that's how I feel and you're just like great I'm like I can't relate because I didn't read but yeah I'm like, I, uh... yeah okay <laughs> I love it oh my gosh okay so um 
I wanted to ask you, like, what your first initial thoughts of, like, a Draco and Hermione pairing were when I first told you about me reading Hermione stuff. (laughs) I mean, I thought it makes sense, you know? I mean, obviously, in the main books and movies, there's the the Harry Ginny thing and the Ron Hermione thing. And I think we had talked about this previously that like the Ron Hermione thing is pretty interesting itself. I mean, they're definitely like kind of different, but I guess, you know, opposites attract and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, Draco Hermione, I mean, (laughs) it it makes sense, you know, like I'm not, I'm reading this. I'm not like, you know, shocked or anything. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting tangent to go down. No, it is. Yeah. I I, I see how it could happen. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think so. What happened when I first got into Dramini fanfiction? It's kind of weird. Like I had read somehow. I don't know how I got to it, but I read a Hinny. That's Harry and Ginny. That's what they call that fan fandom. <laughs> Hinny. I had read a Hinny fic, and um, it was really cute. He like flies up to her window. They're like living in I don't know seventh year, sixth year or something, and he flies through a window and and I just remember I don't remember what it was called and I really wish I could remember what it was called but it was like a really cute little buildup of a romance between them, um that was like never in the books so, I thought it was really cute I liked that whole, um fic and then I was like looking for similar things after that so, I stumbled upon this, fic that was like actually a Hermione fic it was like a Ron and Hermione fic and so that was one of the first that was the second fan fiction story that I read it was like um Ron and Hermione I thought it was really cute it was called Anxious and there it was like it started right after the very end of like Deathly Hallows so after the Battle of Hogwarts like they were she you know Hermione is living at the borough she's like trying to figure out how to get her parents back because she had like erased their memories and um and then, like, Ron's, like, helping her through this, like, anxiety that she has about all of that. So I thought it was really cute. Like, I, I actually, I love Harry Potter. I love the whole world. And I actually liked them together. I thought it was cute. But then somehow after reading that, I stumbled into finding isolation. Like, that that was the first fic I found. I, like, I found that fic. I don't know how every single person within the Dramini fandom, like, started. It's, it sounds like everyone started with isolation. And, um, well, I will say this. I think, yeah, the, the, now that I think about this more and like after reading this first chapter, like, I, I see, like, it, it's interesting because Draco and Hermione, they don't, they don't seem like they would go together, but I guess yeah. you'd say that about Ron too, Ron and Hermione, but it's like the tension there. And I can already, like, see it in this first, like, <laughs> this first paragraph, yeah. you know, I mean, how he's acting and how she's acting. And they haven't really interacted at all at the end of this, by the end of yeah. this first chapter, but. There's some serious uh, drama, there, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's gonna—it's at least gonna be—it's—it's it's entertaining, you know. Whereas yeah. Ron and Hermione, it was just—you know—and I'm not saying it's bad, but I see uh, from the context of the whole Hermione thing, like yeah. how people are like, yeah, it's kind of doesn't make sense quite so, and well, neither, neither is the Hermione thing, but there's at least some drama there to keep you entertained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good point. Like, I think that's why... I think, like, within the whole Harry Potter world, like, that, you know, the eight... The seven books, the eight movies, whatever, it worked out, right? Like, it wasn't a romance story, so it was all about, you know, Harry's journey and, you know, defeating Voldemort, all of that, so it didn't need to have the whole romance thing. 
so it just worked out to like throw them together at the end, I guess. But, but I think what's really cool about Dramini is like you go into every story with this, you, the world's already built. There's already a whole entire world built. There's magic. You know all of the laws of magic. You know, most people keep it the same within the stories. You know, like the characters' backgrounds too. And sometimes they go in and fix it or they change some things, but like, you know, you go with it because it's part of the story. And so, like, that's what's cool about it for me is I go in and it, it's a blank slate, but it already has the foundations there. So you're like, it's almost like a Romeo and Juliet thing. Like, there's the foundation, they're supposed to hate each other. So, how do they end up together? And it's just mm-hmm. literally rereading story after story of like two people falling in love. Like, it's, it's really what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i'll say uh reading this chapter it's actually kind of funny because when i'm here you know it says like draco says this or whatever mm-hmm. and i can just i can hear it's like i'm watching a movie in my mind almost <laughs> i can hear their voices so well and like you know it's funny is I, i'll reread i read reread a few sentences yeah just because the way i heard it in my head of draco say that i was like wait draco wouldn't say it like that and then like added like more scorn to the way he said it yeah <laughs> you know like he's like mudblood or something and i was like in my head he said it like too normally he's like mudblood but i was like wait no draco wouldn't say it like that yeah. so, so like reread it you know or snape's voice like snick because who was in this one magana little snape yeah. slughorn mm-hmm. and hermione all four of their voices i just hear like i've seen the movies so i just know those actors voices yeah so. Oh man, it is kind of funny just yeah playing that out in my head, but yeah, I picture yeah. all of the actors from the movies too. Like I, when I'm reading yeah. any of the stories, like I, I picture all the actors in the in the movies. But a lot of people, like I'm on this whole group where there's a bunch of people that talk about Dramini Fix and everything, and and like a lot of them recast. A lot of them actually recast these people in their minds. So they're thinking, like, when they're picturing Hermione, yeah, Mm. well, they're picturing Hermione as, like, like, they'll pick people, like, famous people who look like what they're picturing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. That's cool. (laughs) That's interesting. It's interesting. (laughs) I, like, I have to picture Tom Felton and Emma Watson. I know, I I literally cannot. cannot. I'm just, that's all I'm imagining is Tom Felton and and, uh, Emma, yeah, when I'm, when I'm, like, reading this thing, and and their voices are so, like, ingrained in Draco and Hermione, that's just how I hear, I'm actually amazed that you could not read it that way, I mean, if you could, like, put somebody else's voice on that, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's like, you have to have, like, a creative mind to do that, I think, I think that's cool, Mm -hmm. okay, so, I, next thing I want to talk about was, like, I think this fic, so, first of all, I picked this fic because, um, like I said, it's, like, one of the fics that everyone talks about um, being their first fic that brought them into this, like, huge rabbit hole of Dramini fanfiction. <laughs> so, the other reason why I thought this was so perfect is that um, these characters are, like, they're in isolation throughout the whole. You know, they're, they're, they're anxious, they're depressed, they're feeling really alone in different ways, but the way that it's conveyed throughout the story is something that I think is really relatable right now because so many of us all around the world, like all of us are in some kind of isolation, you know, like mm-hmm. we're quarantined. <laughs> like I'm, I'm in the U we're in the U S we're in Washington state. And like, we've been in quarantine for a really long time where we we're one of the first States to go into quarantine here. And like, I just, I me I personally have 
dealt with anxiety and depression for a really long time. And so this whole time has been, um, like especially hard because we can't go out. We can't see our friends. We can't, I'm, I'm an extrovert. We can't do many of the things that we're used to doing that keep us going. And so during this time, it's just kind of like really nice to be able to relate to other people. So through this story, I think we can relate to the characters and what they're experiencing really well. How do you think you can relate to the story just based on this first chapter? Well, I mean, I can definitely feel Draco's whole, I mean, I felt like, I remember from reading the books, and again, that was a long time ago, I read them when I was like 14, I'm 26 now, so it was like over 10 years ago, and just from watching the movies that, you know, Draco was like a feisty guy, and he wouldn't be happy with basically everything that was happening. I was feisty, like, I love that. Yeah, and when I was reading this, I, you know, I was like, I mean, it seems almost almost more feisty than I remember, right? you know? So, but, but I mean, McGonagall is saying that he has to basically stay in, in this room, and then he finds out he has to be with Hermione, mm-hmm. and he can't leave. And obviously, I don't really know what if he obeys those rules or not, because mm-hmm. I only read the first chapter. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's going to be tough. And, you know, it's like prison in some sense. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sucks, because, yeah, I guess this happened after, I think I, I Googled this before uh, mm-hmm. I started reading Gang I had to kind of re-up myself on where yeah. the story was, but it happened after the Half-Blood Prince, right? Yeah, so. this picks up right after Dumbledore dies, basically. So it's yeah in October, I think she said, Hermione says at the beginning that it's October 1st, mm-hmm. and Dumbledore died at the end of yeah um, the sixth year. So instead of going with Harry and Ron, Horcrux hunting and going through, you know, that whole thing, um, she stays back for some reason. So, yeah. So, so Draco's, uh, he kept saying like in his inner monologue, like I have no friends and <laughs> everybody wants me dead. And I, and he didn't want to go back to Hogwarts because everyone hates him there too. And, yeah. and then he gets there and McGonagall magically agrees to allow him to stay in, the, in that little room. And I mean, I guess it was, it was well-written because it's like, I mean, yeah, he really didn't have a choice. And his inner monologue the entire time is classic Draco where he's just <laughs> pissed at everything and yeah. overly feisty all the time for because he's Draco, you know? But Well, you use the word prison and that he literally says he's about to go into another sanity-draining prison. Like, he says that in the chapter. I think it's like, that's... We'll see that. We'll literally see how... Um, which you don't know yet, but we'll see how it kind of drains his sanity in a certain way. But like through that, and I don't want to give anything away, but like through that, he finds himself, he kind of discovers his identity in a different way and like what he believes in. And I think that it's really, really, really well done as we'll see in future reading episodes. (laughs) Right, and Um, I'm sitting here like obviously predicting what I think is going to happen. And I'm like, I mean, how long... Draco, like I said, I use this word a bunch a couple times, but he's a feisty guy. I feel like he's not gonna. <laughs> McGonagall says you're not allowed to leave this room, basically yeah. ever. And I'm like, oh, that's gonna last. Let's see how long that lasts. Yeah. Maybe it does. I don't know. I'm just. I feel like you know, Draco's gonna Draco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's one part where Draco talks about um, how he he's concerned that they're not concerned about that McGonagall and Snape aren't worried about him being in a room alone with Hermione and he doesn't say it in the sense that he's like surprised that they don't they don't think that he's gonna hurt her he's surprised that that they think that she's not gonna hurt 
him, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting because his, like, I would, I feel like that kind of almost subconsciously suggests that he's not, he's not going to hurt her. He's not violent. Like he, he's not worried that he's going to go in there and like be stuck with Hermione in there and kill her. He, cause he knows, he already knows based off of him being in the situation the year before, you know, having to kill Dumbledore. He already knows he's not going to kill Dumbledore, right? When he get he's lowering his wand, he doesn't do it. Well, he's not going to kill Hermione. That's not what he's thinking. He's literally worried that she's going to kill him. <laughs> like that, I thought that subconsciously that kind of makes me think or that it, it suggests that he knows deep down that he's not a murderer. He's not violent. He may have these prejudices against her, but but he's already, that already sets the stage for me to think that, okay, there's room for him to break past these prejudices that were set up just through his family. Just, this is just the way that he was, you know, grunt. This is, this is how he grew up. This is what he was made to believe in. And so he's not like his father. He's not a murderer and he's not going to kill her. That's not even what he's thinking about. He's worried about her killing him. Yeah. What do you think about that? What do you think about that idea? I mean, yeah, from his, and again, a lot of it was like inner monologue in his mind, but mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he kept using the word mudblood and all this whatever colorful <laughs> wizard racist language or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't really get didn't get the sense that he was going to hurt her or anything. Just that he was, yeah, highly concerned that something bad would happen. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I didn't read it the same way you did. I mean, I, I haven't read it that he wouldn't hurt anybody you know just that more so we were like in this crazy time and i actually read that read it in the in the sense that like anything could happen you know cuz i mean mm-hmm. we are in this he he's in this crazy position right i mean he's 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 on no one's side now because the the death eaters and voldemort and them want him yeah. dead right cuz he screwed up killing dumbledore yeah and obviously everyone on the other side hates him too and he's basically like this i mean not even closet racist <laughs> against mudbloods he's pretty open about it but yeah you know just I read it that uh, like maybe something bad could happen on either end, you know, maybe he hurts yeah. her somehow because he's mm. just an angry, you know, angry, feisty <laughs> little kid and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And obviously he's concerned about Hermione and, and I actually thought that was probably my favorite part of the whole chapter was just the very, the very end where, you know, Draco's just sitting there now, like kind of enjoying the chaos. Normally he's the one like, uh, that's actually one of the funniest things I thought, like normally Draco is the one starting all the chaos yeah. or like you know instigating it or whatever but he's just sitting there watching as, as Hermione comes in and she just like sees Snape and just starts you know shooting spells <laughs> at him or whatever yeah. I mean the that was the most fun little part I saw in my mind and then and then like you know and Snape's just blocking all his spells and, we got, or, and McGonagall casts that like rope thing or something that yeah. puts her into yeah. a into a into the closet. Into the yeah. closet. And then he just sits back and goes, oh, well, well, like, <laughs> just classic. Like. No, yeah. I, lo- I really love that that start to the whole story. I think it sets everything up really well. Um, taking it back for just a second, I want to go back to, like, right before Hermione goes into the office. She's, like, running through all of the possibilities of all the bad things that could, that could happen, that she could be told right now. Mm-hmm. Because she's thinking... Like, this has to be bad news. It's 2 a.m. This has to be bad news. And so her mind is already in this state of, like, oh, my God, what's happened, right? And she says this line 
um, that she mourned her optimism, or she thinks it. It's in her inner monologue, basically. She thinks she mourned her optimism. And if that isn't depression in, like, the most simplest terms, I think that that's, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what is. Because I think a huge thing, at least from what I've experienced with depression, is, like, so many bad things are happening in the world. So many bad things happen to other people. And, and especially right now when we're thinking of like privilege and your place in the world compared to other people, just based on what you experience in life. I think what's really interesting about that is you really start to mourn this sense of positivity. Like I, I I personally have really mourned my own sense of optimism and positivity to where I've been like, I don't deserve to be happy. And I, I think that's like a really, really, really rough thing to deal with. And, and that's something that really stuck out from her experience there. Like she is living in a situation where, fuck, like Voldemort's still a huge threat. Her, her friends are out there. They could die any day. They're her best friends. She's alone at the school. Her only friend, she, she mentions it. Her only friend is McGonagall. It's the only person she talks to. And who's like a teacher who's way older than her. Like I, I just, I really relate to that in this whole situation that we're in right now. Um, so I thought that that really stuck out to me. Yeah. And Slughorn comes in the room and just says like <laughs> at 2 a.m. Cause it wasn't at 2 a.m. She was yeah, in the library or whatever. Library, yeah. Classic Hermione, of course, she was in the, in the <laughs> yeah. library at 2 a.m. But <laughs> Slughorn just comes in and actually, yeah, I mean the whole way that scene is like written, you know, she's when she hears somebody come in, she like turns her light off and is mm-hmm. hiding because I mean who knows what it who it could be like some Death Eater Voldemort's and come yeah. to the library to read about how to make more more Horcruxes or something. But, <laughs> but yeah, and then Slughorn just says like this ominous like yeah, McGonagall wants to see you mm-hmm. like at two a.m. So I mean obviously, you know, I mean it, it, coupled with the whole everything that's happening how she just expects bad things to happen but also just the way yeah that information is conveyed to her or whatever yeah no you make you make a good point she hears something in the library and she immediately her immediate thought is okay danger right she turns off her light and she's like kind of freaking out um and wondering who's there and so she's like calculating okay how do i see through the book bookshelves how do i'm going to look through the bookshelves and like try to find out who's here right so she already mentioned in the beginning of the chapter two that hogwarts isn't necessarily safe right she mentions that um you know all because of that whole line draco fucking malfoy like she talks about that how it's his fault because he let the death eaters in um but like that kind of that's scary too to think about that she already knows that hogwarts could possibly be a threat be under a threat right you aren't safe anywhere and so when especially at the very end of this chapter when McGonagall she sees McGonagall there with Snape all she knows about Snape she doesn't know he's a spy all she knows about him is that he like murdered Dumbledore the previous year not even the previous year five months before this right so what's really scary to me that I was thinking I was trying to put myself into Hermione's shoes at the end of the chapter there like if McGonagall, you know, the only person that you're friends with, the, the one person that you trust, binds you and throws you into a closet when you see this murderer person, like, that's scary. I think the first thing I would think about is, okay, McGonagall's bad. I'm on my own. What do I do? Like, that is probably what she is thinking at the end of this chapter. 
because she hasn't even seen Draco yet. She just knows danger, danger, danger. And I think that, like, what I really wanted to say about this, and I know that it's, like, a really good way to set up the whole story, McGonagall did this terribly. She should have, she knew about this. She must have had, you know, Snape talks about how he had a conversation with McGonagall before. She should have talked about this with Hermione privately before (laughs) she even (laughs) brought Snape in at all. Right? Like, yeah, I actually, I didn't think about that at all. That's a good, really good point. I mean, she just sends Slughorn at 2 a.m. and she walks in and just sees Snape, who I, and again, I didn't, I didn't even fully, I realized that Hermione didn't know Snape was in on it at that point. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I, I think in that point in the movie, we all know that, right? I mean, we're in the books, like, we know Snape's mature intentions and stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah, but Hermione doesn't. Right. I yeah. so I don't even I didn't actually didn't really make that connection, but mm-hmm. that's it. You're right. She walks in and just sees the guy that like killed Dumbledore who she loved or whatever and mm-hmm. starts understandably just like shooting spells at him <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah, now McGonagall, but hey, you know, we're in the middle of this wizard war thing, so mm-hmm. stuff's happening quickly, I guess. McGonagall should have gone down to the library herself and said, Hey, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> let's chat for a second before this or like when she had first talked to Snape about the possibility about this because when we first see or when we're first hearing from Snape and and Draco's pers- from Draco's perspective like Snape's talking about how he's already had discussions with McGonagall about bringing him there to keep him safe and she's d- explaining in this conversation in the office that like like this is the only the only option is for him to stay with Hermione Granger. So she already knew this. She knew this. This, uh, ugh, uh, the failed. Okay, there's some. There's this podcast that I've listened to, which you know I've listened to this a bunch. Um, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Well, in that podcast, they're always talking about like this fake book that they want to write. That's like the failed pedagogy of Hogwarts, which is basically like. So I'm studying to become a teacher. And, like, there are so many decisions that teachers make in this entire book, in the whole, the regular books, and then also we see this here, which I guess it's kind of characteristic of McGonagall, so it's not totally out of character, but, like, we see really, really poor decisions from teachers all the time. <laughs> it's just not good things at all, and I just, I just find that really funny, so. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know this is, like, a Germani mm-hmm. fix, so obviously they're gonna end up, like, staying together or whatever to progress the story, but. Yeah, now that I think about that more, you know, McGonagall just... Obviously, Snape's like, you, you want... It. Well, Snape starts off by saying, like, who, who's going to stay with you or Slughorn or whatever? Yeah. And she goes, no, there's only one person I trust, and that's Hermione. But then Snape, I think, even asks himself, like, wait, have you, she's she's cool with that, you know, because he doesn't think so himself. Yeah. And then she, I, I think what... It, I don't know what McGonagall says, but she goes something like, oh, I think so, or I hope, or it's, it has yeah. to work or something, like... <laughs> It's the only option, basically. Yeah, and then obviously Hermione comes in and just starts shooting yeah. spells off. So it's like, well, I mean, it sets the maybe drama. McGonagall's just creates uh, the drama. Yeah, she's uh, she's flying for here. She's just she's Hermione. You, you gotta make it work, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it, I guess from uh, obviously this is how the story is written, but it would make more sense because I think didn't they talk about it that Ginny was there as well or Hermione? Yeah. Hermione said that Ginny was also in the castle, and mm-hmm. obviously you know, like there's a quarter of the students or something, but yeah. I feel like there's maybe somebody else who doesn't hate Draco as much as Hermione does, but obviously yeah. uh, McGonagall trusts her the most, and you and know, she's for good a head reason, girl. But... So I think that's the thing too. She's the head girl, so she oh, has so her she own room, room yeah. with so. two with two rooms in it. So. What about that other guy? They talked about uh... Cormac, Cormac. Yeah. or Peter, who is it? Or... Yeah, I think it's Cormac or somebody. Uh, I can't other, remember. The head boy guy, but yeah, I mean, 
Yeah. It's just funny how that went down, but yeah. That's the story of all these of all these books and movies and whatever. It's like <laughs> yeah, you have to somebody makes around. like a questionable decision and they just go with it. And like yep. <laughs> clearly this book, it's like McGonagall. Yeah, Hermione's totally gonna be cool with staying with Draco yeah. who just killed Dumbledore. Like whatever. Do you think it's possible um, that she has thought that because she's talked, you know, she talks with Snape a little bit about like like in the middle of the fic or in the middle of this chapter, she talks about. Um, how, like, Albus had this idea for Draco. He didn't want Draco to go to the dark side, right? He didn't want Draco to um, follow in his father's footsteps, basically. So do you think that maybe part of this... Maybe this is kind of a calculated decision, too, on her part. Okay, if we're gonna if we're going to keep Draco here, and we're going to try to keep him safe, let's just redeem him. Let's just make him part of our side. So maybe she's thinking, what's the best way to do that? Put him in a room. Take away his magic. He can't hurt her. I mean, I guess there would be a way. Oh. Oops. I have an alarm going off. Alarm. Oh, Uh-oh. It's okay. Continue. Okay. So, but, yeah. So, what do you think about that possibility? I mean, I'm just kind of speculating here, but maybe there's a calculated decision behind it. Because I can't think of any other possibility. I'll, I'll push back and say zero calculation there at all. <laughs> and we were just talking about how all these yeah. teachers and professors make these just <laughs> rash, stupid decisions where you're like, wait, everything could have been way better. And yeah. they really just didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, this, I'll, I'll say zero thought. Just <laughs> okay. like, yeah, I mean, that seems like it would work. Out too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But I wanted to, you know, try to think of, possibilities there maybe maybe let's just put it out there maybe there's the possibility that mcgonagall is thinking okay we're gonna keep him safe here we're gonna redeem we're gonna make him on our side and the best way to do that is to break down break him down like let's break him down let's put him in isolation let's shove him in this room and like he's going to be on our side we're gonna we're gonna save him basically i don't know Let's just put it out there. I mean, it could be. Poss- didn't, possible. Didn't, yeah, Snape, Snape said something about you know that Albus was trying to do this, and then he got cut off, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then McGonagall said, like, yeah, don't use his memory or whatever. But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly McGonagall was, like, what, Dumbledore's kind of right-hand woman person or mm-hmm. real close to him, and they probably had discussed this kind of stuff before. So Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... Like, that makes sense. Yeah. She, you know, they, they obviously they all trusted Ron, Harry, and Hermione, and I mean, yeah, McGonagall yeah. says it. I trust Hermione yeah. the most of any students here, so maybe. Well, maybe I mean, she we can see turn that. It, especially you're, you mentioned that's actually I didn't even think of that. You mentioned that McGonagall's like Dumbledore's right hand person, right, for for years and years and years, and we see with Dumbledore throughout the first books that he has had a plan for Harry since the day he left him on his aunt's aunt and uncle's steps or doorstep. Right. So he basically, I mean, Snape talks about that with him, right. That he, he grooms Harry to defeat Voldemort basically like cattle, you know, like he, he grooms him in, in certain ways to have to die one day. He knows that from a young age from Harry's young age. He already knows that. So it's not that far off to say that McGonagall could could kind of be playing this game too of like I there are certain ways this is a different world there are certain ways that we have to just be kind of ruthless to get people to do what we want them to do or what they need to do eventually. You know. Yeah. I actually think that's probably one of the most interesting parts 
of I mean what could be this story is I mean mm -hmm. we we know a lot about Hermione and Draco and their their stuff and McGonagall is somebody at least in the the books in in the movies that is like you know I, I don't really I, there probably maybe is a lot more information out there and I'm just not remembering about <laughs> her but but she's like this super powerful um, wizard person that's like really close with Dumbledore mm -hmm. and high up professor and you don't really see her obviously most of the plots driven by Dumbledore and Harry yeah. and all those guys but McGonagall's always there and so to have her as the head woman here and making these decisions and like how much does she know like because yeah you yeah. mentioned does is, is this is part of her plan like is she's gonna put Hermione and Draco together and right to, like turn Draco or something or is she not considering that is this like just some random decision like oh yeah. trust Hermione the most it could be either way but I kind of think it like, is yeah. pretty compelling just to think about the possibility of that you know yeah and I, I, I just want I want to actually learn more about like McGonagall's rule and mm -hmm. I don't really know too much about her but I want her to like slay some dragons or something or <laughs> shoot some big fireballs like uh yeah. like Dumbledore did and well like the scene at the very end of I don't remember what happens in the actual book in Deathly Hallows but like at the Battle of Hogwarts when she calls all of the like Hogwarts ah, I can't remember it but basically she calls like all those big concrete beasts to come out of Hogwarts oh and, she like, did you know that. yeah she yeah, does yeah, that yeah. It's like that big moment where she's like, like, I've always the, wanted to use that spell. The like stone soldier. <laughs> yeah, guys, the stone yeah. soldier. Exactly. Yeah. And and when Dumbledore dies, she's the first one to like raise her wand, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that scene enough times that I remember that. Because <laughs> I'm always. She raised the wand <laughs> and like the yeah, because isn't there the, the what do you call that the the dark mark or the mm -hmm. the yeah. whatever above the castle there? Yeah. And then dissipates that. So I mean, she does cool stuff. So <laughs> yeah. it's like you know, I mean, so it'd be it kind of cool to see her as the headmaster. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that I guess that's kind of the end of this chapter one discussion. Um, thank you for chatting with me about this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Wow. Now I'm have to read more. I was, yeah. You, you have said to read you more. have to read the first chapter to do this discussion, and yeah. Now I'm like discussing. I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. Like, yeah. Ooh. See. This is how it starts. Clearly. I had to. I had to convince yeah. him really hard to be able to read this and come on here, but. But hey, I hooked you. Well, that marks the end of my discussion with my amazing boyfriend, Matt. I seriously appreciate him for coming on here and for reading the chapter and talking with me about it, even though he's never read any kind of fan fiction before. So what a sweet boy. Um, so for next week, reading chapter two, I would really love to hear from you. If you guys have any questions or thoughts on the chapter, please send me an email at DraminiFanFictionPodcast at gmail.com or go and join the Dramini Fan Fiction Podcast Facebook group.